Ezra chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this evening. And we, we've, we finally got introduced to Ezra, the author, or the, the writer of this book last week. The timeline in the book of Ezra is just blown me away as I've been studying it. The fact that it's, in, it's, it's 82 years, that, that time span is 82 years. And the writer of this book, which is Ezra, finally arrives after 80 years. <laughs> he comes onto the scene in chapter 7, and, and he will only be ministering in this book of Ezra for two years, basically. And so for 82 years, this book is the, the span, and after 80, he finally comes in. And, and if you weren't here last week, I was sharing about Ezra as we were introduced to Ezra. And, and I don't know if you were impressed, like I was impressed with this man. Um, again, I've read through Ezra. I've never studied it. I don't even know if I've ever heard a study in Ezra that didn't like take two weeks and then they were done with it, you know. Uh, but to go kind of slow and kind of just, I don't know, just kind of get to know them. I was really impressed with this, this man as, as, as I started studying about him. And just what we read about last week, the fact of the matter is that, that, that his lineage was pretty stellar. The fact that, that, that he, he gives us a little lineage of, of who this man is in the beginning of chapter 7, and, and he, he is able to take his, his lineage, his ancestry, all the way back to to Aaron, the original high priest, the one that was anointed by God Almighty Himself, that God was the one that set Him up and they, He would be the priesthood that would represent God to the people and the people to God. And this guy, Ezra, is able to go back and say, I am part of that family. And, and, and we mentioned that even because a few chapters ago, there was, there was priests who were coming back from captivity 80 years earlier who could not be a part of the, the, the temple and, and the priestly duties, if you will, because they could not or they did not have the proof of their lineage, whereas we have this young man, and he can go all the way back to Aaron. He was well-skilled, it tells us, which means that he was well-versed. In, in the, or, or he, was, he, he was a skilled scribe, uh, that he was well-versed in the, in the law of Moses. He had a good reputation, not only with the king, but obviously with his own peers. And verse 10 of that chapter was a pièce de résistance. A little French lingo there for you. This is who Ezra was, and I, I and I truly believe again, man. This is what 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 stood him out among so many people. Where it says in verse ten, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's who this young man was. He sought the Lord. He did what the Lord required him to do. And he taught others as well. All the while, we, we, we learned that he was only 22 years old when he came to Jerusalem. 
And like I said, he would only be there for two years, and most believe that he only lived for 40 years. He died at, at 40. He, it says that he was born in, in 480 B.C., and it is believed that he died in 440 B.C. And he was born at the time of, of Queen Esther, but in a different location. He would come back on the scene, or he will come back on the scene, in Nehemiah chapter 8 in 440 B.C., and he will be 36 years old when he comes back on the scene with Nehemiah. As we continue in our, in our text here, it's almost as if chapter 7 introduced us to, to Ezra. And he kind of told us a little bit of how things got, got going and stuff. But chapter 8 kind of goes back a little bit to, to, to him be, still being up. In, in, in Mesopotamia area, in that whole Babylonian area, um, now being the Medo-Persian area. Many of the Jews were very comfortable in that area. Again, I shared with you that Ezra was not so much born in captivity because the captivity was over. People were coming back to Jerusalem with, with, with uh, Jeshua and, and with Zerubbabel. And yet, he hadn't even been born when those guys came. And so he, he, he and his family, he, they're up there and there's a lot of other people. And a lot of those people that, that stayed up there were comfortable staying there. The captivity was over, but they didn't come back. And many of them followed Jeremiah's counsel to be good citizens and settle down um, and have normal lives where they were at, where they were taken captive. And this is what Jeremiah 29, 1-7 says. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from ba uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened when uh, Jehoiah... Uh, Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the, the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elish, uh, the son of Shaphan, and these other guys, whom uh, Zedekiah, king, of Judah sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who, are, who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may increase there and not diminish. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For it is peace, you will have peace. For in it you will have peace." 
And so the encouragement was for these people that were carried away captive that now that you're there and I've sent you there because of the sin that you have, you have committed down here, now that you're taken away captive, make the best of it. It's a bad situation. And I think oftentimes with, with us, when we're in a bad situation, we just linger in the bad situation and we decide, this is my lot. I can't do anything about it. So I'll just be miserable the whole time. And it's like, no, even God encourages his people. Hey, I'm going to send you there. This is not of your choosing. I'm sending you there. And, and so now that you're there, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to pout the whole time? You're going to be there for 70 years. Make the best of it, he encourages them. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit. Basically, he's telling be good citizens right where you're at. If it's not your favorite place to be, make the best of it, however you have to. And I truly believe that as Christians, man, whatever our surroundings might be, we can make the best of it. We can. It just depends on, 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 on what you decide you're going to do. If you're just going to sit there and be miserable the whole time, then, then even reading God's Word is going to feel like blah, 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 blah. Instead of going, Lord, show me, man. Show me these stories of people like, like Joseph or, or Nehemiah or, or, or uh, Ezekiel or Daniel or these people that were taken out of, you know, not their own will. And yet, God, you use them in powerful ways. And so I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at tonight. If, 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 if there's a place in your, in your life right now that you're just going, it's not where I want it to be. It's like, well, make the best of it. Praise God regardless through the good, the bad, and the ugly. So with that long introduction, let's get into chapter 8 of Ezra. These are the heads of the fathers' houses, and these are the generation or the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, the sons of Phinehas. Gershom, the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, the sons of David, Hattish. And we're going to stop right there because the rest of them are just names. To verse 14. Some of you guys who read ahead going, man, poor Pastor Zeke. I don't know why he goes into the OT like this. There's nothing but crazy names. And we're not going to go there right now. But it's interesting because here Ezra, again, he's going to take us back a little bit to remind us what happened before he even heads out to Jerusalem. Because last week when we were in chapter 7, it kind of told us the time that he left, the time that he got there. There was four months from the time he said, you know, the exact date was this day and the exact date was this day that he got to Jerusalem. And so now he's kind of going back and he's now giving us a little bit of the, the, the backstory to, to kind of see what's going on and so wisely before the he, he even sets out however time it took for him to prepare Ezra gathered together the heads of the Jewish families to return with them now understand again 80 years earlier 80 years earlier Jeshua and, and Zerubbabel had done the same thing they had gotten their, these families and, and, and a lot of these families that are are, are are uh, 
mentioned here from verses 3 to 14 are, for, are from the same family that we read in chapter 2. The same families, basically. So, so for some reason, some people stayed and some people came back to Jerusalem, but it was those same families that he goes after and says, hey, we're making another trip down. I know your family didn't go the first time, but maybe now it's time for us to go. Maybe it's time for us to, to move back, even though we've never been there. That's our homeland. That's where our ancestors are from. We've heard the stories, and now it's time to make that trip back. And so wisely, he gets, he gets these, these Jewish leaders, these Jewish families, along with their extended families, The total number of the men that we didn't read about uh, that are there, <laughs> um, the total number of them that he, he has gotten from verses 3 to, 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 to 14 are, are 1,514. 18 of them were the heads of the families. Another four, four, uh, 1,496 of, of them were, were the ones that were numbered with these families. And that's not to mention the, the children and, and the, the, the wives, the women that were attached to these men. And so it's quite possible that this group that he has now gathered together is somewhere about four or 5,000 people. And he, he, he will take care of all, however they're going to take care of each other, but they will make this long journey down to Jerusalem. And like we learned last week, it took four months for them to get all the way down there. And so you can imagine this big old group of people making their way back. But this group was way smaller than the one we read about in chapter 2 when Zerubbabel and Jeshua made their trek down. There was about close to 50,000 of them that came the first time with Jeshua and Zerubbabel. So this is a, 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 a smaller group. What I don't understand is what's happened in this whole time frame. For 80 years, they had come back. For the first 23 years, Jeshua and, and, and Zerubbabel have been doing all the work. They, had, they were stagnant for about 15 of those years. And then there was that 57-year gap from chapter 6 to 7. And it never tells us what exactly happened to the people, but it seemed like they became stagnant. That's why, that's why Ezra has this heart to go back and, and, and teach them what it means to worship. Again, he's, he's a scribe. He, he's on the priestly side. His heart is to go back. The temple's been built now for over 50 years, 60 years. The people are there. Those 50,000 people, I'm sure they've multi multiplied. But for some reason, they are not back to worshiping God again. They, they have become so stale in, in, this, in this service to the Lord that, that He has to bring some more people and get the people stirred up again. Almost like we've got to revive this once again. They have died in that sense. And so, and, and, and before I move on, he, he, did, he, he mentions himself personally in verse 1 where he, where he says they went up with me. 
So he, he is the writer. And then in verse 15 he says, Now I gathered them by the river that flows from Aheva. And we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent Eliezer, Ariel, and the rest of these guys, um, these leaders, also these other two guys, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Edu, the chief man, at the place, Kasifa, and I told them, what they should say to Edu and his brethren, the Nephinims at the place Kasifa, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, the son of Mahali, the son of of Levi and the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and brother, 18 men, and Hashabiah and with him Jeshiah and the sons of Merari, his brothers, and his sons, 20 men. Also, of the Nephinims, whom David and the leaders had appointed for service for the Levites, 220 Nephinims. All of them were designated by name. And luckily, he didn't give us all their names. But they were designated by name. And again, one of the things, even though I, I mess up their name badly... You know, I, 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 I really appreciate that God puts their names in there because he knows them by name, just like he knows you by name. And, and, and again, I'm sure when they were writing this or when he wrote this and the people were now reading it, they, when they saw their name written in there, they were so ecstatic that their names were written in this book. And so again, if I mess their names up, I mess them up. But be that as it may... We, we, we have, again, kind of the backstory that he says, hey, we started heading out. We got all these people, 1,500 people together, basically, and their families, 5,000 people. And as we got ready to go, I, I looked among the people, and I didn't see any of the Levites. Any of the Levites. There were some priests there that, that, that would do the priestly duty. But the Levites, the Levites were the ones that took care of all the temple. And what good was taking care or taking all this group over there if they weren't going to take the groups, the, the, the Levite groups. They were the ones that, that truly were supposed to be with them and among them because they would be taking care of the temple and all the things that were in, in, involved with the temple service. And so here he tells us that they went to this one place, a river or canal, a heva, which more than likely was close to Babylon area where they were at, and they camped there for three days. And in those three days, he realized none of the Levites are with us. 
Now, what I don't understand is why were these guys not anxious to go to the temple? Could it be that the responsibilities that, were, that they knew they would have to have, maybe they're going, maybe we don't want all that hassle. <laughs> but you see, he was taking a group of people to go down there and start teaching them how to worship again. And it was almost like they were going to go and start a church again. <laughs> they had to get the thing going again. And there was a lot of work to be done. And so is it possible that the Levites were going, you know, we have a really cush job up here. <laughs> I know we don't have the temple. I know that we don't have all the responsibilities as we would have over there. And I think sometimes when people decide, hey, I think I want to be in ministry. <laughs> When they get into ministry, they realize, man, that's a lot of work. Taking care of people is a lot of work. And maybe these Levites are going, that is a lot of work. And, and I don't know if I want to be involved in it. But not one of those Levites was found there. And so I, I, I just have to look at this and go, man, this is a sad situation. That when he, he put the call out, hey, we're going, that these guys didn't come forward first and foremost and say, we're your men. We're the ones that will help you teach the people how to worship. We will teach the law. We will do whatever it takes to bring back worship to the temple. Because obviously it had not been going on. And so could it be that these guys, they may, may have heard the stories of the Levites that went before them, the priests that went before them. The Nephinims that had gone before, the Nephinims were the ones that helped the Levites. They were like their assistants. Maybe they heard and they said, you know, they tried it once before and it's just not working. And yet this guy, this young man, uh, Ezra, has this heart to go back and say, no, man, we got to bring worship back to this place. And there was none of these guys that were found. And so Ezra sends out these nine leaders and these two men of understanding to go secure some Levites and some of the Nephinims for the temple service. And he sends them to this man, Edu. And apparently he has all the hookups for the... For the he knows where they're all hiding, probably. <laughs> and as I'm thinking about this, I'm going... So are they now being kind of forced to go? It's like, why didn't they volunteer in the first place? Why didn't they have a heart to serve? Were they that comfortable where they were at <laughs> that they're going, we, we don't want to move from here, even though we know that God's calling you, Ezra, to go. And Ezra's going, we need, we need you guys. You guys are the ones that are going to help me do this. Because again, I mean, I've never been a part of a church plan in any way, but apparently, man, you need a lot of people to come alongside to at least help you and lift up your arms because one man cannot do it. And I know that he has 1,500 people or men that are going with him, but he needs some godly men, people that know the Word of God, to be able at least to come alongside and support him in the work. And so he sends out these leaders and he brings back some of these men. 18 from one family and 20 from another family. 
38 Levites he, he gets. I don't know how many people there were up there, but it's like, that's it? Well, he, he does get 220 Nephinims who would be helpers. But it's almost like my heart hurts because it's like, man, do you not have this, this urge, this desire to do God's will? Again, we read about this young man, Ezra, back in, in chapter 7, verse 10, that he sought the law of the Lord. And he did what God told them to go do. And he taught others. And these guys have the ability to do that. And they're going, I don't know. And yet when they call them out, they come. And I just kind of wonder, is like, is that a good thing or a bad thing when somebody makes you do ministry? Because <laughs> there's a need. Isn't it much easier? I know for me, when, when we when we have needs, to have somebody just chomping at the bit to say, I want to, I want to. It's like, oh, slow down, big boy. You know, I'd rather tell somebody, hey, slow down a little bit just to make sure we, we're on the same page instead of somebody going, coming in and going, hey, I, I want to do it. Or somebody going, mm, I don't want to do it. You know, again, man, that people would be praying, Lord, what do you want from me? Because again, it's like God wants willing vessels to do the work that he has in store for them. That's what he wants, willing vessels. Not reluctant vessels. And I know many, even in our fellowship here, just have a heart to serve in other people. It's like, well, where's, where's the need? I'll fill it. And it's like, well, I understand. You can fill anything. I just want to make sure you have that desire to go fill that, that need. And so he has these people, and they finally get them all together. And then in verse 21, it says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek Him, to seek from Him the the right way for us and for our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request uh, of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our god is upon all those for good who seek him but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him so we fasted and entreated our God for this. And he answered our prayer. As they were by this river, this canal, as some commentators said, Ezra approaches this whole matter in, 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 in the spiritual light. Before, before he heads out on this trip... Now that he has everybody in place, he says, okay, now we're going to call for a fast. Now we're going to sit here for three days because it tells us that up in verse 15 that they were there for three days. So I, 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 I'll assume that they at least fasted for three days. Before they did anything, they sought the Lord. Their desire was not to impress the Lord with their fast but to humble themselves before the Lord, to seek Him, to say, Lord, what do you want in my life? 
Lord, I know that you have laid this on my heart to go back to Jerusalem. I know you've, you've allowed all these men and women to be with me. But, but Lord, before we go, we want to make sure that you're going before us. And it just reminds me of, of Moses. When Moses, when they were ready to go and, and God was upset with Moses and the whole group. And he says, you know what, Moses, you go on without me. You just go on with your bad self because if I go with you, I'm going to kill all of you guys. And Moses comes to a place where he's going, Lord, if your spirit is not going before us, then we're not moving without you. We would much rather stay here than go in front and you're not with us. And so here these guys, they have been praying, they have been, they've been fasting now and they're going, Lord, all we want is for you to go before us. Lord, all we need for you is to show us the right way. And so we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to deny ourselves the, the, the pleasures of food and drink. And, and, and we're going to discipline our bodies to say, Lord, it's all about you and nothing about me. The, these people, they decide that they're going to seek the Lord in a fast and in prayer which is very, very good for us to be accustomed to, to be able to do, to be able to say, Lord, I don't know what you want in my life, but Lord, I'm going to spend time in prayer. And that is great. To be able to go, okay, Lord, you show me in your word which direction you want me to go. I, I, I just talked to a friend of mine yesterday. He was telling me that the other day, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, was the first time he's ever fasted. His granddaughter was, was going through a surgery, and so he decided he was going to fast through that whole time that she was going to be in the hospital or in, in that surgery thing. <laughs> and because it was the first time, it was really tough on him because everybody was eating around him. And, and, and so, again, what he decided was, Lord, I just want to seek you on behalf of my granddaughter. What I, what I want, Lord, is I want to deny who I am and what I want so that I could seek your face and lift up my granddaughter before you this whole time. And it was just a sweet time for him. And it was almost like he just humbled himself and said, Lord, I want to feed myself, but I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to say no to me so that I can honor you and petition you for my granddaughter. And again, we have here this, this man who, who just wants to do what God wants him to do. And so he seeks him for the right way for him, for his family, and for even the possessions that they had. Lord, we want to be able to do that. And, and so in the process, Lord, we're just going to deny ourselves. We're going to discipline ourselves in this way. And he wasn't fasting to obligate God to move on his behalf. He was just saying, Lord, here's what we're lifting up to you. You show us the way. You tell us which way to go. Now, verse 22 is kind of interesting. Because he says, For I was ashamed to request... For, uh, of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we have spoken to the king saying the hand of our God is upon all those who uh, for good who seek him but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him and so it almost seems like Maybe the king had already offered 
an escort. And he says, nope, my God's going to take care of us. Again, man, right on, man. He, ha- he has this confidence <laughs> that God is going to take care of him. And so he's, he's I don't know if he's second guessing going, I was kind of embarrassed to go back <laughs> and tell him that we really should have an escort. It's going to take us four months to get there. I got like a group of 5,000 that are going with me. And as we're going to read in just a little bit, they have a lot of money and a lot of possessions that they're taking with them. And so it's almost like, was he having second thoughts of going, man, oh man, it would be nice to have an escort right now. But I've already told them, my God's going to take care of us. Have you ever done that? (laughs) Have you ever done that to where, man, you're so confident that the Lord is is doing this and doing that and doing this, and then all of a sudden you're going, Lord, was that you or was that just me? And you you don't want to backtrack. And I understand that because, again, I don't want to make the the Lord look bad. And, and that's why for me, and, and if you get to know me, if you, if you know me already, I don't use that very often. Oh, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. The Lord told me this. I, I, I very rarely say, and, and if I'm going to use something, I, I go, I think the Lord's telling me this. You know, there's always that little question mark. <laughs> Only because I never want the Lord to look bad. I never, want, I never want to go like, well, the Lord said this, and then all of a sudden it does. You know, it's like, well, I thought the Lord told you. It's like, well, maybe he didn't. And, and, and so, again, I, I am very careful to, to share those kinds of things. And I think we should because, again, I don't want the Lord to look bad. Now, if the Lord has, man, so confidently told you, because again, here, it seems like Ezra's going, well, we already told the Lord that God's going to take care of us. It'd be, it'd be wrong for me to go and go, ah, I'll, take the, I'll take those soldiers after all. <laughs> you know, maybe that pagan king would go, hey, I thought you told me that your God was going to take care of it. That he's against those. That he will take care of your enemies. And so, guys, let's be really careful when we do that. But you know what? I, I, I love the fact that even though he might have felt, felt ashamed that maybe he should have, that he, he was going to stand his ground and like, okay, Lord, I've already put, throw, thrown your name out there, man. And the Lord was faithful. The Lord was faithful to meet him. And I know that even in our lives, when, 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 when we've misspoke or when we've said this was the Lord and it really wasn't, there was our own flesh or something that God oftentimes, well, he'll humble us in a lot of ways. But sometimes he just comes through and is like, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Because he knows who we are, guys. And again, man, I, I, I would love with confidence always to just say, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. And the guys, again, man, when I'm reading his word, if it's not aligning with his word, then I just don't want to say, well, I just feel this. I'll think it. <laughs> But you know, it, it, it's kind of cool because we, we can oftentimes look at them and say, well, if Ezra didn't call for any, or any, any uh, soldiers or anybody to help, then we shouldn't either. But yet, a few years later, Nehemiah would say, not me, man. I told the king, hey, I need an escort. <laughs> You're giving me an escort too. And so again, you know, it's like just because Ezra decided I don't need an escort doesn't mean that nobody else needed an escort. Because Nehemiah said that he needed an escort. And, and even when Paul was being taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea, 
he had an escort with him as well. And so it wasn't a lack of faith by any means. They just said, no, we're cool with it. Whereas this guy, Ezra, decided, no, we're not going to do that. And so I'm sure as they were fasting and praying, the Lord just solidified, I'm right there with you. I will go before you. I will take care of this whole situation. And so he was able to move forward. In verse 24, he says, I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah and Hashabiah, and 10 of his brethren, with him and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offerings for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed, I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 20 gold basins worth 100 dachmoth, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are are a freewill offering to the Lord God of our fathers. Watch and keep them till you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in, of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Now, just again, now in the physical sense, after praying, after fasting, after having everything ready, they were ready to make this, this, this 900 trip journey from Babylon area down to, to Jerusalem. And so he prepares all of this. He divides the silver, the gold, the articles uh, to these 24 men of this group. And these items were for the temple and they were given by the Persian officials for these people and also from the non-returning Israelites that were still up in that region. They had given them all these things. And the amount was about 25 tons of silver. Nearly eight tons of silver and eight tons of gold. Plus various vessels and offerings given by the people for the temple. And so you can imagine how many millions of dollars it would be worth today that these guys are carrying. And again, they, they, they know that there's robbers and there's thieves and there's, there's enemies that are out there. And they're going in this big old group. So it's no wonder that maybe Ezra was concerning, man, maybe we should have have some soldiers with us or not. (laughs) We're carrying a lot of stuff and people might, might find out who we are. Ezra, he charged these key men with the responsibility 
of carrying all these valuables with them. His charge, in, in his charge, he said to them that these materials are now holy unto the Lord. They are now consecrated unto the Lord. And they were to be careful with all of this. All the silver and all the gold that was given by the people. And he emphasized to them about guarding this money and guarding these possessions because once they get to where they're going to get to, they're going to count it before they leave and they will count it once again when they get there. Again, the accountability that, that is kind of being shared here, that, that he is giving these men the responsibility of taking care of all these things. You know, when it comes to money that is consecrated for the work of the Lord, God doesn't mess, mess around with that. He really doesn't. And again, the responsibility that, that we as a church have and my board have of, of, of spending the money that comes from you, the people, is a huge responsibility and the accountability that we are to have. To be able to say, hey man, if you're a tither here, man, our books are open. If you're not a tither, then you have no business looking at it. But to be able to say, hey man, our, our, our accounting is, is, is right on, man. If you needed to come and say, hey, where's my money going to? That again, we would be able to give that account. And again, when, when, when he's giving them the responsibility here, He's saying, this is a lot of money, but this is holy unto the Lord. It's not our money to play with. It's not our money to just throw around like we want to. It's, it's something that we, we should take care of. And, and the responsibility that they were having here is because once they got to, that, to Jerusalem, all that money was going to get counted again. And so in verse 31, it says, Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to, uh, to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the king, or the priest. And with him, Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, which with them were the Levites, Jezebad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui, with the number and weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and twelve male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered 
to the king's, or uh, they delivered the king's ordinance and the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of the Lord. And so once they arrived there, they left Babylon on the first day of the month, as it told us in chapter 7, verse 9. They stayed in, in uh, Hava for about three days. And when they left that encampment on the 12th day of the first month, they arrived on the first day of the, of the fifth month. And so they covered 900 miles together with all of these things that they had with them, their, their little ones, their, their families, all the possessions, everything, about 5,000 of them perhaps. And it says the good hand of the Lord was upon them and protected them and their possessions. You see, they, they had consecrated everything to the Lord, their families and even their possessions. Lord, you take care of them. They're all yours. In Proverbs, it, it, it says that we should honor the Lord with all our possessions, with everything. That everything should be consecrated to the Lord. You see, the Lord is, is the Alpha and the Omega. He, he is the starter and He is the finisher. And when He starts something, He will finish it. And on this journey, they trusted Him. They, they, they looked to Him for guidance and for direction. And God was faithful to meet them every step of the way. And even when Ezra had his second thoughts, man, maybe should have, we could have, we should have. And he said, you know what? God has called us to go. We're going to go with or without the protection because he understood that God would protect them and he would take them to their destination. And so every step of the way, God met them there. He provided for them and he never let them out of his sight. And when they got there in verse 32, they came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. They rested. They rested from the work that they had been doing. This whole time it was ministry. <laughs> it wasn't a vacation. It wasn't anything. They were moving from one place to the other, but they had this focus. They had this purpose, and it was all for God's glory. And so when they got there, they rested. There's, there's a saying that says, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. And so even Jesus, when, when his disciples were out doing ministry and they were all excited, he said, hey, let's, let's get away for a little bit. Let's rest. And there's times for that, guys. There's truly times for rest because if we don't come apart, we fall apart. And so these guys, they got to their destination and then they rested. And then in verses 33 and 34, they delivered what was supposed to be delivered to the house of the Lord. And, and, and it's almost like they, they, they gave what they had brought. And they weighed everything out and it was right to the ounce. Everything that was there, what was needed to go to the house of the Lord was taken care of. They inventoried all of it and, and it was all right there. And then in verse 35, they worshipped. Once they took care of that, they worshipped. They offered the burnt offerings, the bulls, the rams and the lambs and the goats. And they worshipped. 
in the presence. And, and can you imagine for the first time, Ezra, who had written all of this stuff about Zerubbabel and Jeshua, about the temple being built, the, 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 the foundation, the, the altar, and all of that. Now he is finally there at the temple and he is worshiping. He has seen it for his very own eyes, for himself. He's seen it. And all these people with him. And so you can imagine the excitement of being able to bow down before the God of Israel in the temple. And all those who had come with him. And I remember back in, in chapter 3 when they were laying the foundation and the altar that some of the old timers who had, who had seen the first temple going, it's not like the good old days. <laughs> and we don't have any of that here. All those guys are gone. And there's this revival. There's this newness about them. And they're worshiping like never before. Can you imagine those Levites that maybe didn't show up at first and now they're there going, oh Lord, thank you. Forgive me for not jumping on board from the get-go. And so once all of that is taken care of, they reported to the authorities. They delivered the, the king's orders and the satraps or governors of that region, once they got all of this, once everything was given to them, and the letter was handed over to them, it says, and uh, so they gave support to the people and the house of Israel. Guys, I, I've been telling you as we've been going through the book of Ezra, what I've seen through the, throughout this whole book is God's faithfulness. He is faithful. He was faithful to Zerubbabel and Jeshua 80 years earlier. He told them that they would be coming back, and they did. And with Ezra, his heart was to be back in the temple to teach the people to worship. And God was faithful to get them there. And they found favor even in the, in the eyes of, of the believers, well, the believers, but the, the unbelievers there as well. And so I just want to encourage you guys. I don't know where you're at. But wherever God's taking you, He will get you there. He is faithful. He is always faithful. If you find yourself in a situation where you just feel like, man, this is not what I wanted, make the best of it. Make the best of it. Serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. As you seek Him, do what He tells you to do in His Word. And teach your family to do the same. Teach those around you how to turn bad situations into good situations by serving the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness once again, even with me, Lord. Just in, in the things that you've been teaching me through the book of Ezra, Lord. Father, I just pray and hope that, God, you... You've allowed me to do it some justice to encourage my brothers and sisters through this book, Lord. Lord, as you've been showing me um, just your faithfulness through this book, I pray that you would show your faithfulness to my brothers and sisters, Lord. I don't know what they're battling today. I don't know what they've battled this week. But Lord, show them your faithfulness. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's